0: You are entering the Freedom Hut. The great green leap forward continues. The commie vibe from the Democrats is getting stronger with each passing day. AOC and company talking about how we should get rid of the cows because of their farts. And we're going to run off of wind turbines and all the rest of this nonsense. How do we fight back against these socialist impulses? And how do we get Democrats to stop using 12-year-olds for politics? That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. Buck Sexton.
1: Permission. Decoding the news. And
0: disseminating information. With actionable intelligence. Russian. One small thing. Make, make no mistake. America. great a great America again. This is The Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst.
1: Former member of the NYPD. He's think
0: like I could speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime.
2: It is Buck Sexton. Now.
0: Welcome to the Bucks Accident show everybody. Thank you so much for joining. Hope you had a a great weekend. I, I was out on Sunday doing uh, quite a bit of sporting clay shooting. Uh, did, did some busted out the 12 gauge for a bit. Had some fun with that. It's good. It's one of these things that's a perishable skill man. I don't get enough time out there. Otherwise you start to get a little rusty you start to miss Then you start to miss too much. You start to swear and then it's all of a sudden you get you get the sadness. Uh, but no, I had a lot of fun. It was good times. Well, let's get right into it. I- I've got this amazing clip to share with you. Um, We've we got to talk about Ocasio-Cortez on the show, the Green New Deal. Libs are doubling down on this. They're completely insane. Kim Jong-un and Trump meeting in Vietnam this week. Also, big trade deal with China could be on the horizon. They're pushing back the deadline for March 1st, hitting the $22 trillion debt ceiling coming up in a few days. Man, we got a lot to talk about. Venezuela, are we gonna help oust this punk maduro or should we stay out of it what's going on in syria man i got i have so much show in my head right now i don't even know what to do i do not i can't even contain all the show that's in my head but i gotta start with this because this was amazing diane feinstein it's a woman who has been in the game for quite a long time she is a she is a wily political survivor to be sure and she had this group come visit her. I, I forget what they're called. There's some name for them now. This, these, these like environmentalist agitator kids, basically, that show up. But they showed up to Congress. And I, I want to play. I can't play the full 15 minutes, obviously, because it's a radio show. But uh, I, I, we, we picked the best moment of this. Imagine you're a sitting U.S. senator. You've been doing this for, as she points out, decades. And a group of kids, and I don't mean kids like, oh, those kids and they're 25. Because, you know, 25 year olds, as somebody who was 25 pretty recently, they, they've got a lot to learn. The Sunshine Movement, it's called. Thank you, producer Mike. The Sunshine Movement. They, they they show up, though, to a U.S. Senator's office. And they're not there. You know, I remember what it was like to be 10, 11, 12, maybe 13 years old. Going to Congress, you would think. Ooh, like this is where the government stuff happens. And there's some sense of of awe and majesty when you're a kid, I think, of being in our nation's capital. I actually never did a class trip to D.C., so I'm just assuming. And we did a class trip to Mystic Seaport, you know, when I was that age. And we were like, ooh, ah, look at the old ship and all the barnacles on the underside of it. And there was some dude who was dressed as a pirate who was like, what will we do with the captain's daughter? What will we do early? You know, they're doing the whole pirate songs and stuff. I don't know if some of you have no idea what the heck I'm talking about. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The guy was sealing, uh, not sealing, uh, singing pirate songs for us. Anyway, you would think there'd be awe and majesty from kids that show But no, there were demands there were straight-up demands made of a sitting U.S. senator by, uh, by these kids who are 12 years old, 13 years old. You ha- We're, we're going to talk more. We're going to break this one down in a second here because, I mean, this is, the Libs love to do this. They never learn their lesson. Nobody should give a blankety-blanking-blank-blank blank about what kids think about politics and policy. I'm sure many of you listening to this have wonderful... I was just over the weekend at a house where there, was all, there were kids aged 2 to 12, actually, I think, running around, like six or seven of them. Wonderful kids, great families, everything else. I do not care what they think of the top marginal tax rate, though. I do not care what a 12-year-old thinks about the board. It's not that I don't care, like, I, I disagree with them. I don't care, as in it does not register for me as an opinion that I should or need to listen to. If they have questions, I will answer them. If they, if they want to learn, I will explain. But their opinion to me does not matter, as in it should not be taken into account for the purposes of legislating, right? They could have opinions to their parents, and that's great. They got opinions to their friends. But their opinion to a U.S. senator should, whether it's gun control or climate change or any of these issues, Kids don't count when it comes to policy decision making, okay? Hey, what? I'm, that's right. They don't they don't get to have a say in this one. This is why we actually have age limits about things like voting. Diane Feinstein caught the brunt of brainwashed kids deployed by liberals for the purposes of shaming her into some kind of action. And Feinstein wasn't having it. Sit back and enjoy this one, folks. Play clip one.
2: We are trying to ask you to vote yes on the Green New Deal.
1: Okay, I'll tell you what. We have our own Green New Deal.
2: Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around.
1: Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. The government is supposed to be for the people and by the people and all for the You know what's people interesting it. about this group? Is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should listen a little bit.
2: I yeah, hear what you're, you're saying, but we're the people who voted you. You're supposed to listen to us. That's your, How old are your you job. How old I'm 16. Are you, I well, can't vote. you didn't vote, vote for me.
1: Well, she Resolution <laughs> any plan that, <laughs> that doesn't take
3: me. full okay. transformative no, okay. action is not going to be what we
1: need. We need well, you know better than I do. So I think one day you leadership. should run for the Senate. Great. I when yeah. yeah. you do it you way. But by that time.
0: Oh, Mike, wasn't that amazing, man? That was beautiful. I also loved it. Like, we voted for you. She's like, actually, kid, you're not old enough to vote. (laughs) That's amazing. Uh, But you know why somebody who's 16 would say we voted for you? Because they're all just parroting what their parents and teachers have told them. Those kids were all saying talking points. You know, we need your leadership. It's like, no, you. you." I also the, the the one kid. It was, I mean, the kid was, look, some of the kids were really cute and, they don't know any better. I, I'm not here. I have no criticism of the kids. I mean, maybe they could be a little more respectful of their elders, but I'm, I'm not here to criticize the kids. It's the parents and the adults and the teachers that are with them, though, who deploy these kids like some kind of Trump card on how to get Dianne Feinstein to vote a certain way on the or, or, or to push for certain aspects of the Green New Deal. This is This is crazy. But they did this with the Parkland kids too, you know, they were teenagers, some of them were close to or, or right at about 18, but they were they were teenagers and because they were students at that high school, we were supposed to listen to them without criticism, listen to them without comment. They were supposed to be in a role where they could say whatever they wanted to call the NRA a blood-soaked terrorist organization, say the NRA has, has the blood of children on its head. They could say whatever they wanted, and if you criticize them, how dare you? These, ki- these are kids who are victims. How dare you? They were deploying young victims to make political points for the moveon.org and you know, far-left Democrat base. Really just unseemly, unethical. And and I think really disgraceful conduct for the adults who do this, and for the young adults that engage in this behavior too. Um, but you know, notice how they're they're telling her, uh, this one kid is you know, but we need your we need your leadership, you know, the whole thing, and and it's just where do they get these ideas that that we only have twelve years to save the planet? Do you know when we only had ten years to save the planet? 13 years ago when Al Gore said we only have 10 years to save the planet. Well, that was 13 years ago and we seem just fine. These people are part of a delusion. This is a this is a mass hysteria. This climate change stuff, you know, libs have become detached from reality. The world has existed for billions of years, has been through countless true natural disasters and calamities and yet here we are and it's all going to be okay i i want a world that exists that can sustain life uh for for many millennia to come i have no concerns i'm not a little bit concerned about climate change i am zero percent concerned about climate change i think hurricanes are real i think natural disasters will happen i think pollution is real but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about CO2 emissions into the atmosphere. CO2, which is a naturally, uh, a naturally occurring gas in the atmosphere. It is what plants need to survive and, and for photosynthesis. And yet here we are being told that the world is going to end. I tell you now, it is a form of child abuse. It is psychological abuse of children to tell eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds that the world is going to end unless they go and mob an adult in power and cry and beg for the policies of an imbecile, Ocasio-Cortez, to be implemented at the national level. It is child abuse to tell kids the world is going to end in 10 years, which is what now is, and I am shocked at some of the people who are jumping on this bandwagon because it is politically fashionable for the left right now. It is, it is particularly fashionable because Ocasio-Cortez, who they really just like because of all the, all the superficial aspect, they like the way she looks, they like the way she sounds, they like her background, they like her youth. The obsession with Ocasio-Cortez is, is the liberal obsession with optics, there's, there's no substance to what she's saying she doesn't know what the heck she's talking about but they've become just you know engrossed in this perception in this in this character that is is Cortez and she's out there uh she's out there telling people all the usual scaremongering stuff and she had a moment that was just jaw dropping. She's doing these live streams with, you know, hundreds of thousands, probably millions of people will watch where she sits there in her kitchen and, you know, uh, she is better at this than Elizabeth Warren. I'm going to get me a beer. You know, hello, fellow young people. I'm going to drink a beer like a cool person now. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez you know, is young and seems normal and cool to, to young people. And she sits there and she does these kind of policy, she gives these policy declarations while she's you know chopping up an onion or whatever and she says things uh like well i'll get into the craziest one in a moment but first you know don't have she's telling people that there's a that you, that they're not having kids because of climate change play 23
2: our planet is going to make disaster if we don't turn the ship around and so it's basically like there's scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult and it does lead i think young people to have a legitimate question you know should is it okay to still have children
0: they always go back to these malthusian fallacies remember john thomas malthus from back in the day we're going to run out of food population keeps growing and our ability to make food is going to peak and then we're going to run out of food and you're going to have die off from starvation around the world yeah, he w- he was considered a brilliant a brilliant mind in his day. He was really wrong, wasn't he? But there there is a a desire on the hard on the part of the hardcore left. There's a a, a negation of humanity that's at the core of a lot of their beliefs. There's a nihilism, you know. Yes, the Green New Deal is about the implementation of of a, of a communist feeling within the left of a, of a kind of traditional socialist, but socialist in the original Marxist intent, feeling on the left. But then there's also just this desire to view human beings, to borrow from the Matrix and Agent Smith, we're like the virus on this planet. You know, we take, we despoil, we exploit. Human beings are a virus, Agent Smith said. We, we, are, we all we do is replicate and take and destroy. That is also a philosophy that is represented in the minds of many people on the left who embrace this Green New Deal nonsense. There are too many people. We're too destructive. We're not at harmony with nature. Nature is actually destructive. Nature involves a tremendous amount of predation and death and loss and catastrophe. It is in our conquering of nature that we can achieve peace and prosperity and beauty, and the arts. This is what the libs don't understand. You know, they should just go try to walk around in, you know, the rainforest naked for a few days to see how that goes for them before they start saying, oh, let's get rid of all the light bulbs. we got more. Stay with me. Morning coffee is an American institution. I, I drink it every day. And that's why when it comes to starting my day right, full of freedom, promise, and patriotism, I reach for the most delicious, most American coffee on the market black rifle coffee this is how i get my day started i tell you it's delicious coffee and i'm somebody that really cares what his coffee tastes like also it's got quite a punch to it but if you want decaf you can get decaf too try black rifle coffee this will become your coffee of choice just like it is for me i get it delivered every month it's roast to order guaranteed fresh delivered to your door and while liberals threaten to further tax your hard-earned money with their socialist agenda, Black Rifle Coffee is fueling the fight for freedom by upping their offer to 20 percent off. It's a great deal. Take advantage by visiting slash buck and receive 20 percent off your entire order. That's com slash buck for 20 percent off, blackriflecoffee.com/buck.
2: And I read it and I was like, "You know what? I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore because again I'm at least trying and they're not so the power is in the person who's trying regardless of the success if you're trying you've got all the power you're driving the agenda you're doing all this stuff like I just introduced Green New Deal two weeks ago and it's creating all of this conversation why because no one else has even tried because no one else has even tried so people are like oh it's unrealistic oh it's vague oh it doesn't address this little minute thing and i'm like you try (laughs) you do it right
3: because
2: you're not because you're not so until you do it i'm the boss how about
3: that you heard it here
0: yeah no you're not the boss though aoc i hate to break it to you you're a freshman member of congress there are uh uh, 435 of you, and so far it's not, not exactly impressing anybody who's paying attention to the content of what you say. Your social media game is strong, but your policy game is uh, uh, ignorance uh, Ignorance is bliss. So I just like this, though. You know, I'm the boss. This is like what a I imagine because many of you have children and I don't. Uh, but I, I I know enough to, about kids to know that sometimes they walk around and just say I'm the boss. You know, it's a fun thing for a kid to say, and you're like, no, no, little Timothy, like you're not the yes, I'm the boss. You know, and they get to walk around and say this. I'll tell you a funny story actually, real quickly. Um, I a friend, of, you know what? I'm even. It, it was it was uh, it was Pete Hegseth over at Fox when we used to work together at Real News. He had these adorable kids. I mean, really, really cute kids. He brought one of them to the office one day. And uh, to the studio, I should say, and and he said to me, "We're waiting outside to go up in the elevator after the show." And Pete's with his kid, and you know, happy dad, and the whole thing. And he, he says, "Hey, Buck, make sure that you let make sure that you let him press the button for the elevator." And I'm like, "Oh, sure." So he presses the you know the 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 up button in the elevator because we we're actually in the basement. And uh, he presses the button, and then I step in, and without thinking uh without thinking i just got in the elevator i thought okay well he pressed the button to get up and so now we're good right so i pressed lobby in the elevator and all of a sudden i hear this yelling you pressed the button
3: i was supposed to
0: press the he starts yelling at me and screaming and causes a scene and there are other people waiting for the elevator and pete's looking at me like oh i'm so sorry man he has to press all the buttons and Oh, man. So it's kind of like AOC. I'm the boss. I press the button. I press the button. Um, don't let her press the button, guys. If it's the Green New Deal, it's going to be really, really bad. It's going to work out very badly for all of us. Got more on this. Kamala Harris, uh, Klobuchar eating salad with a with a dirty comb. That's coming up.
3: There's no question we have to be practical. But being practical also recognizes that climate change is an existential threat to us as human beings. Being practical recognizes that greenhouse gas emissions are threatening our our air and threatening the planet. And that it is well within our capacity as human beings to change our behaviors in a way that we can reduce its effects. That's practical. Can we afford it? Of course we can afford it
0: two and a half three trillion dollars a year for medicare for all by some studies i don't depending on which portions of the green new deal you pick to do first that's money uh that you know what the republicans are going to say tax and spend liberals pie in the sky
3: one of the things that i admire and respect is the measurement that is captured in three letters roi mm-hmm. what's the return on the investment okay. people in the private sector understand this really well it's not about a cost it's about an investment
0: oh okay it's not about a cost, you see. It's about it's about an investment. What? This is nonsense, right? I mean, uh, Kamala Harris here. Uh, first of all, that that she look, she understands that the left wing environmentalist base. It's a cult. It is. These people are nuts, but they have a lot of money and they have a lot of uh, a lot of sway in media and and online and social media. And so you have to you have to play this game now of climate change is an existential threat. If you want to get through the left wing lunatic primary, you have to play this game. Um, I'm not saying that you have to from the perspective of being a sane and honorable person. But I mean, if you want to win the Democrat primary, you've got to be a climate change alarmist. So I understand that the the cynical reasons for her taking this position, I, I, I get that, right? I'm, I'm up on that. But even the rest of the stuff that she says here, the costs, what are the costs? Oh, she doesn't want to focus on the costs. Why is that? Why doesn't she want to focus on the costs? Well, because there's a report out today. I think it says, I, I read it earlier, but I, th- I think it said that there is the the expectation is that the Green New Deal? If implemented throughout, so if you went all in on the Green New Deal, if you really did the Green New Deal the way you say you're, the way the libs say they want to, the cost overall would be ninety trillion dollars over the course of the implementation of it, which obviously would be a number of years. But the the bottom line is that it would be a vast drain on the economy. Uh, so how do they get around that? How do they get around the fact that the Green New Deal is going to mean that you're, I'm sorry, 93 trillion dollars, according to the American Action Forum, and it could cost every American household $65,000 a year. Do you, do you think that the Green New Deal is worth 65? Would you want to write a check every year for $65,000 to fight CO2 in the atmosphere? CO2, which is 0.02, I think, or 0.05% of the atmosphere, okay? It's not even 1% of the atmosphere. We're talking about a small percentage change in less than 1% of the overall atmosphere. And people like Kamala Harris are coming out to say that this is an existential threat to us. $93 trillion over a decade, that's what the estimate is. Do you want to pay three, four, ten times as much for electricity, you will under a Green New Deal. Do you want to pay a lot more for all the consumer products in your life because they have to be transported to you? That requires energy. They have to be manufactured? That requires energy. They have to, uh, the the facilities that they're made in have to be built? That requires energy. Where's that all going to come from? Solar? Wind? This This is idiocy. I keep wanting to say that it's unserious intellectually, but it's deadly serious from a policy perspective because this stuff is going to mean that a lot of us suffer more, are poorer, and there's less progress throughout the economy. I mean, this really is a massive drag on overall productivity. And so how do they try to reframe it? What, what do they try to, uh, try to say about this so that it does not seem as horrifically stupid and, and also costly, right? What is this going to cost? CNN's asking Kamala Harris, and she just, just skips right past that and says, oh, it's about return on investment. Investment, you see. Who thinks that the government is going to be a good investor, a good fiduciary, if you will, of your money? That the government should be in the business of financial speculation on your behalf. Because that's what they're telling you. Oh, give us money so that, meaning the government, and not just give us, we're going to take it by force, because that's what taxation is. It is seizing your money under the threat of force. That is taxation. Do not forget it. The government is saying, we're going to take your money, but we're going to do such great stuff with it that even though the technologies don't exist right now to make this feasible, we're going to make it work. That even though right now this would be immensely wasteful, immensely destructive to economic productivity, just give us the money, we'll, we'll, we'll invest it for you. You'll get more back, just wait and see. My friends, we're going to hit the debt ceiling, I think this weekend, $22 trillion. We're going to officially be at $22 trillion dollars in debt. You think that this government's going to manage this Green New Deal effectively, going to spend your dollars well? Does anyone really believe that? I would like to talk to that person and, and try to walk them through the facts of life quite a bit, you know, the, the reality of the world around us. California was expecting to spend now, the, the, the projections were for $77 billion on one train line from San Francisco to Los Angeles. Seventy seven billion dollars. They barely got they didn't even get to first base. They barely even got up to bat. And now they want to keep three billion dollars so they can build a leg of this thing from Bakersfield to Sacramento or something, or Bakersfield to somewhere. I don't even know. Somewhere else in California. You think you think that the federal government is gonna be a a lean Mean analytic machine when it comes to how to spend money for a Green New Deal? This is insane. Look, it's the great green leap forward. It really is. The great green leap forward. Mao's great leap forward resulted in the starvation of 60 million people. Now, because we're already a very wealthy country, we're not going to starve because of this, but this will set our economy back decades if they manage to do this. That's what's at stake here. This will mean... That you know the wealth that we all enjoy as Americans, we have been getting wealthier as a society. Although that wealth is not evenly distributed in the last twenty years, in terms of the increase in that wealth, we are getting wealthier as a country all the time. Uh, and they will put a halt to that. They will set us back decades. By the way, also speaking of Kamala Harris here, she uh, she made it very clear that her plan is to go after to go after Trump um and that's what uh, that's what she's planning to do when she runs against him and i think that you're going to see democrats who are willing to say that if they beat trump unlike the republicans that could have gone like trump that could have gone after hillary and charged her and brought real criminal charges against her that are not fabricated or not trumped up i think they're going to th- they're going to make the case to the left wing base they're going to go after trump play 26
3: and i guess the last piece is this we're going to need somebody who knows how to prosecute the case against this president
0: Now, that may be a rhetorical flourish because she was a prosecutor, one who's very fond of putting people in prison for nonviolent offenses, by the way. Prosecutor who really liked to uh, flex her muscles and and, and uh, hurt people that weren't bad people. But I think she's also engaging in a little bit of, uh, of a dog whistle situation here about prosecuting Trump and those around him. And this is going to slowly enter the discussion Of 2020, and it will eventually become normalized in that discussion where it's not just we're going to defeat Trump because the Democrats should be in power, but we want to defeat Trump. The Democrats want to defeat Trump so that they can bring criminal charges against him and his family when Trump is out of office and no longer has the protections of office and the power of pardon. I think you'll see that openly talked about by Democrats going forward, which is the sort of thing that you expect in a third world hellhole. Democrats are going to say that about this president. And people who say, oh, what about Hillary Buck? Hillary flagrantly and openly violated the law to engage in a corrupt scheme. They're going after Trump just to go after Trump. We got more coming up.
3: We have uh, one of the most generous policies, and I wish uh, every employer had this. We have 12 weeks of paid family leave, and there was something that was in there from the past that we changed, and we never actually enforced it about um, how you had to work after you came back for a certain period of time. We've never enforced it. It's been changed, and I think the overriding story here is we have 12 weeks paid family leave, and I think every employer should have that.
0: Every employer, huh? 12 weeks paid family leave. That's, that's Amy Klobuchar. Or Snow Woman, as Trump calls her now because of her uh, initial leap into the presidential field where she was in a, it was a snowy Minnesota day. 12 weeks paid family leave. Well, What happens if you were at a, a a small business that has, let's say, has four or five employees? Can you can you afford to give one of them 12 weeks of, of paid leave? No, I, I, I don't think so. There's a lot of stuff that, by the way, the, the notion that I would, for example, I mean, here I am sitting here I've never had 12 weeks off for anything. I've never expected to get 12 weeks off for anything. I take a week off from work and it's and it's like a shock to everybody around me. I mean, the notion that you would have I don't think I've had a full week without working in I don't know how many years now. At least at least two or three, a full, a full week without filling in for Rush Limbaugh, without without doing any work at all. It might even be like 5 or 6 years. I mean, it's been a long time. A long long time. 12 weeks off. I mean, what are we, like kids and this is summer break? I'm sorry. This is this is fantasy land stuff, but I really just want to so the paid family leave thing and the you know, look, the administration's pushing this, you know, we're 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 starting to get we're getting so close to a European style welfare state. Some might argue we really we're really already there in a lot of ways. We just got a few more things that the libs can can change and all of a sudden we will we'll effectively be a European welfare state. But this is my favorite of the stories from over the weekend about any presidential candidate. Klobuchar, who, as you know, has been uh, out there with there are these reports that she's an incredibly mean person that she prevents. This is from her former staffers and that she prevents people from even being able to get other jobs when they want to leave. And, you know, all that. Right. All that stuff. And I believe it all. And I've heard from people that know that she's terrible. I've also heard from people that know that, that Kristen Gillibrand is terrible, for those of you that care about that too. Not a nice person. Huge, huge phony. Huge phony. Which is I'm sure not a, not a big shock to any of you. But Klobuchar now, is she's trying to push back on this. Look, Klobuchar, her name might as well be I'm not gonna be president. Because we all know she's not gonna be president. So this is just a razor national profile. And, and in a sense, people like me even talking about it is kind of giving her what she wants there. But man, there was a story over the weekend that I just, I just, I, you had to love this. So she told staffers, this is in the Klobuchar abusing staff category. She told staffers to get her a salad. And she got a salad. And the staffer, this was when she was traveling for some kind of, a, I don't know, maybe, I don't know if it was a campaign stop or whatever it was, but I think it was probably on the campaign. Get her a salad. They bring her a salad, they didn't bring her a plastic knife and fork so she decided i'm not making this up all right don't think that this is me just trying to be funny she decided to start eating her salad with a comb a used comb that she had on her and then oh no it gets better it gets better then she decided to tell her staffer that got her the salad without the fork that it was up to that staffer that she's you know, that's paid as part of her Senate staff to go wash out the comb that she had eaten the salad with. Oh, the whole thing is so gross. I mean, what's next? Is she going to ask somebody when she has a little ice cream cup but no spoon for a used Q-tip? Uh, ew, I know it's gross. I know it's gross. I'm grossing you out right now. Deal with it. Deal with it. Take the pain. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, who, who's going to catch that movie reference? That's a, that's a sly one. Um, but you know, this, this just tells you everything you need to know about this woman. That she would, I mean, the fact that she would even eat, I mean, what kind of savage eats a salad with a comb? Why not just eat it with your hand at that point? Right? Why not just eat it with your fingers and wash your fingers? I mean, I'd rather go, I'd rather go that way, you know, eat it like you're at an Ethiopian style restaurant. You have the injera, the bread and you You soak up all the stuff with the injera and you eat it. And Ethiopian food's good. Ethiopian food's good. A little little funky sometimes, but it's good. Uh, You know, the same people that would use a comb to eat a salad would probably ask for a paper straw because we all know paper straws. Come on, folks. We are not savages. We don't need paper straws. We want plastic straws. Plastic is a great invention. I want a plastic straw. I do not want a paper straw. This is ridiculous. Uh, But Klobuchar is going to have a tough time living this stuff down and if SNL were really a comedy sketch show and not the the uh you know video propaganda arm of the DNC which is really what it is and not a very effective one either they would they would have had a sketch this weekend of just Amy Klobuchar just shoveling salad in your mouth chunky blue cheese dressing and you know bits of breaded chicken and just 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 rawr, 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 chewing with her mouth open with a big comb and then flicking that comb at her staffers like wash this man SNL if they could if they should just bring me on and let me do one or two conservative sketches a week man we would turn that whole franchise around because it'd be but i wouldn't just be conservative i would just be making fun of what people should make fun of what is actually funny that's out there a, a senator who wants to be president who eats her salad with a comb this is funny it kind of reminds me of uh I think it was Trump who said. I always laugh about this because it's so silly, but it's so true that that uh, John Kasich, who's one of the most unlikable and surly politicians you will you will come across, that that John Kasich uh, ate ate pizza like an animal or something like that. <laughs> I always thought that was so funny that he did something really. Not that he, you know, he doesn't eat it. Some people knife and fork their pizza. I'm okay with that. I, I actually I got no beef with that. But that Kasich was a somehow ate pizza like an animal i I don't remember how he described it but it was just oh man it was funny but yeah klobuchar the next president eats her salad with a with a comb that has been used ew gross we'll be right back background checks are a necessary part of running your business safely and effectively You need Global Verification Network to do them. I know a lot of you might already have people for your HR department that you work through that do background checks. Call Global Verification, tell them about your needs, the size of your company, the business you're in, and hear them out about the kind of program that they could tailor to your needs because Global Verification Network is the only dual-certified veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company out there. And they differentiate themselves from their competitors by doing all of their work here. A lot of those big background check organizations, they send this stuff to be done overseas. They just run some database checks They don't even control where the servers are for this stuff. They don't have control of the data. They don't have control of where the work is done. Global Verification does it all here in the U.S. of A., my friends. Call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179 or go to mygvn.com. The hard left is perfectly willing to demand the presumption of innocence as they should for Smollett, but they weren't prepared to give a presumption of innocence to the non-existent MAGA hat wearing assailants. They immediately assumed the story was true, immediately convicted these people in the court of public opinion. And so what we see is the presumption of innocence, like so many other aspects of our life, is selectively employed by the left against the right, sometimes by the right against the left. We have to have a presumption of innocence on both sides. When somebody deliberately frames somebody and deliberately makes up a false report of anything, that person must go to jail. Couldn't agree more with the Dersh on that one. And, you know, the Dersh has been himself subject to uh, public allegations that he went. Uh, he went thermonuclear in his opposition to. I mean, he he has. He wanted to take legal action. I mean, he he got very uh, very angry about that. And I will tell you, there are few things that will make there. Will, there are a few things that will make an innocent man more angry than someone trying to take away that man's reputation, dignity, honor with a false allegation. Which is why, for example, Bill Clinton's. Unwillingness to publicly state his innocence about Jennifer Flowers and other cases, not of sexual harassment, of sexual assault, always stuck out to me as this guy is this guy is uh, is scum, because any man that I know of any honor and integrity who was accused of a of a sexual assault uh, or any kind of uh, egregious sexual misconduct like that that he did not commit would I, I don't care what the the PR agents that everybody else tells you, you're going to come out against that with everything you've got because it, it goes to your very core of who you are as a man and who you are as, as a person. And you cannot let that kind of allegation uh, sit out there. Um, but the point about selective presumption of innocence, this is this is something that we have to really fight against. Uh, we saw this with the Kavanaugh hearings. Now we've seen with, with the Covington kids and Smollett you know, when do they say I'll wait for evidence and when do they go all in on the narrative? And this is where bias really shows itself. This is when you see how the left plays dirty and and why it is that we have to always be willing to fight back against these falsehoods. Because if we just allow them to continue with what they do without any pushback, they'll convince enough people that certain individuals should be destroyed that certain ideologies should be anathema, and over the long haul, they'll manage to achieve greater power, and they will be rewarded for these practices. That's what all this is about. At the end of the day, it is about the left trying to achieve power. That's why the double standard exists. If they if they were really concerned uh, first and foremost with the mistreatment of women, with the uh, with, with hate crimes, with with these different Areas we've seen this uh, th- th- this conversation come up, there wouldn't be a double standard. There would just be a standard. Right? If, the, if the left wanted to eliminate racism uh, and, and, and hold a very high standard of even previous conduct that you could then be held accountable for decades later, they would have had a couple resignations in Virginia, wouldn't they? They would have had the governor and the state attorney general for Virginia Mark Herring uh, it's the attorney general, and then Ralph Northam as the governor resign. They would have had them resign. Um, but they're not. neither one of them is going to resign, even though they've admitted to blackface, they've lied about blackface, they've sort of come clean about it, but haven't really come clean about their pasts with this. Uh, that's because they like, the left, likes to set these standards as traps for conservatives, set these very, very, very high standards that... The moment a conservative even just gets close to, they want to just tear them down and destroy them. But they want to keep the option open for really important leftists who will get a pass, like Bill Clinton. Talk about a leftist who got a pass on sexual assault for a very long time. You know, It was only after Hillary lost, after his wife lost the presidential election for the second time, that liberals were willing to say, okay, maybe... Maybe we don't have to sit around or just make excuses for Bill just chasing Skirt and grabbing ladies and being a disgusting pig. You know, maybe then they were, oh, okay. They decided that it was time for them to, you know, let Bill go off and, uh, you know, ride off into the sunset as the uh, the sketchy, shady individual that he is. Uh, but before then, they were willing to back him up at every, at every, at every juncture. And with, with Smollett, we see them trying to do everything that they can now to to slow walk. They know that that Smollett's a, they know that he's a liar. They know that he falsified this. But false reports, a lot of false reports in the past have gone unpunished to police. I I bring up to you that the the liar at the heart of the Duke lacrosse fiasco, which is another of the worst racial hoaxes ever perpetrated in this country because right at the heart of that whole issue was that privileged white lacrosse players uh, raped a black woman, gang raped a black woman. That was the the narrative and it was going to ruin all of their lives. The coach, for heaven's sake, who wasn't even there and had nothing to do with this, was fired. Uh, and There's a very inspiring story about how that coach from the Duke lacrosse case ended up going to, I believe it was Bryant- University in Rhode Island and turned their division two team into a national lacrosse powerhouse and refuses to leave that school because they gave him safe Harbor when he needed it and deserved it. And nobody else would guy did nothing. The guy was punished for an event. He had no control over that did not happen. Yeah. Duke university, another place, just all these universities shame run by shameful cowards shameful cowards at these elite schools all over the place uh but the the accuser in that case and i'm sure that sure the dersh would feel the same way about this crystal mangum was her name she uh she filed false reports against all these boys totally lied about it they knew she lied about it they never charged her and you know later on you know what happened she committed manslaughter she murdered somebody and then they finally sent her to prison you know maybe maybe somebody would be alive today. And maybe Crystal Gale Magnum wouldn't be spending the next decade or so in prison, or I don't even know how long she got for it, if they had applied the law as it is. You know, this is a, there's not just a double standard in the presumption of innocence. We are seeing a massive double standard in the application of the law to the left and the right in all aspects of law when it comes to whether or not you are held responsible for lying under oath as we see from various people caught up in the Mueller probe versus people at DOJ, FBI who are lying. Hillary and her top aides, oh no, no effort to get them to lie under oath. These double standards are toxic to the public's ability to believe that there is a real justice that we are trying to achieve here. So they can try to make all these excuses for Smollett. He should absolutely face charges for a false report, and if he takes this thing to court, they should punish him to the maximum of the statute because this is as bad of a false report, I think, as you're gonna find anywhere. This is a false report that had real ramifications, that took up real police resources, and I'm sick of the liberal media creating these perceptions, these public narratives, that, oh, you know, Jussie Smollett, he has a drug problem. Oh, you know they don't do this for conservatives. No mercy on the for the right. Nothing but mercy for the left. This has to stop. Everyone has to live under the same law in this country. Oh, that includes illegal immigrants, by the way. Everybody has to start living under the same law. No more separation for people based upon their political affiliation. And I think that Dersch recognizes this has to stop, and it's a real threat. And there are many others as well who agree with me here that the the biggest threat to our Legal cohesion in this country is the politicization of prosecutors and judges. The left owns far too many of them. It needs to stop. Yes, the most well-known organization for seniors is the AARP, and I'm sure you probably know somebody who's a member of it, right? But I'm here to tell you, AARP is actually left-wing organization. Okay, AARP is all about Obamacare. They're not into securing the border. They're into higher taxes in the middle class. So. Why not get all the benefits of a seniors organization while also supporting what you believe in and the policies that you think matter for this country? That's why I recommend AMAC. AMAC has over 1.5 million members, and that number is growing all the time. AMAC offers the same kind of money-saving benefits that AARP offers, but without the liberal agenda items. So this is the conservative alternative to AARP. Join AMAC. Stand with them as they fight the good fight by becoming a member today. The benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's amac.us buck because AMAC is better, better for you, better for America.
1: So why would we be surprised that a self-proclaimed nationalist would not speak out against a self-proclaimed white nationalist? Why, why are we acting like um, this is a space that Donald Trump is going to go in on behalf of the American ideal? No, he's not. Um, and these are his people. All right, and he's not going to thank law enforcement because he's probably not happy about what law enforcement did. Is um, that where we are? That's where we are. I mean, I I call the space where we are where we are. I mean, I'm just not going to try to dress it up and be all you know, <laughs> uh, pie in the sky and hopeful that oh maybe in me- the next incident Donald Trump will actually get it right that he will have matured in his presidency enough to act act like a a
0: president. But uh,
3: that's a brave thing to say.
0: A brave thing to say. Former Republican Nicole Wallace, now MSNBC shill for whatever the powers that be over there want her to say. I mean, the fact that this woman was associated with the Bush administration and now she goes on TV and calls what Michael Steele, their former RNC chair, says brave. I mean, Steele should be ashamed of himself. That is the most uh, insidious, disgusting unfair and monumentally stupid thing that i have heard a pundit go on tv to say since at least the last time that steve schmidt was on msnbc i mean it is a really dumb thing to say that the president of the united states is unhappy this is what he said there folks and on a panel full of people who were like yeah yeah that sounds right the former rnc chair michael Steele, who's got a he's got a show on sirius i you know i I gotta tell you i I mean, I have no interest in ever, you know, being on his show. But if we ever had a conversation, this this little moment here would have to come up. I'd have to clear up right away whether he really believes that President Trump supports a white nationalist who was planning to kill large numbers of people and bring about a race war. Because any person who believes that is a moron that I will not have a conversation with about politics or about this president because they don't deserve that respect. So if Michael Steele wants, I maybe he's already apologized, I don't know, although I haven't seen that anywhere. If he would want to repudiate that, then 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 we could have a conversation. Sometimes people get heated. sometimes people are you know not moving as fast in their careers or aren't as as powerful as they'd like to be. And so they just try something like this to get attention, to to placate their uh, their the people that are paying them over at their channel or whatever, you know, wh- whatever they've got to do, they're willing to abandon their own principles and their own conscience to try to get ahead. If that's the case, I mean, at least I know where he's coming from. If if, if the former chair of the RNC, though, really believes the president of the United States, it, that that his people includes this guy who was just arrested in, in uh, Maryland, the Coast Guard guy who was planning to bring about a race war with a mass assassination list and was stockpiling weapons, um. Then Michael Steele is is really stupid for one, uh, and also is somebody that I, I don't I don't think should should be engaged in political conversation by anybody of good faith in the right period. You know, I'm not saying that you know he should be anathema from society. You know, I like he's a human being too. He might even be a really nice guy. I don't know him, but I won't talk to somebody about politics who's going to say that about the president of the United States without evidence, as the left likes to say. And for Nicole Wallace, that's a brave thing to say. It's it's the it's the dumbest thing that I have heard on it, it. honestly is probably the dumbest thing I've heard on MSNBC in about a year. And MSNBC is full of people who say very very stupid things on a very regular basis. So that's that's a pretty a pretty high bar that they have to get over uh, to be the, the single stupidest thing that you've heard on, on air there in a long time. But you know, this is also where you see you see a, a couple things come out. One is the dishonesty of many folks in the media who, you know, they, they put at MSNBC, the fact that they they find these former Republicans or these kind of establishment Republican types. It's one thing to disagree with Trump on some, look, I disagree with Trump on some things. I think Trump has failed to get it down on the wall and I'm I'm very unhappy about where he is in the wall. I think that Trump has lacked focus on some issues. I think that Trump has been, uh, distracted by the power of his tweets sometimes from actually uh, getting results based on the promises he made. Now, he's still got a lot of time, and I'm still supporting him every step of the way in the agenda, but I have criticisms of Trump. It would be bizarre if I didn't have criticisms of Trump. I have criticism of every politician, of every person who's in power in this country, and that's the way that it should be. But what you have here are these, these Republicans, or in some cases, former Republicans, you know, Max Boot, uh, Michael Steele, that uh, that guy uh, Dowd at ABC, who's another one of the dumbest people on television. He's the chief political analyst at ABC. He's an independent now after running, you know, Republican uh, campaigns for governor and elsewhere. Now he's an independent, so he can, you know, be invited to the uh, the proverbial lib upper west side cocktail parties now in New York, uh, and and says the dumbest stuff, and is as one of the worst. Uh, one of the worst minds in terms of lack of knowledge, but really grandiose sense of self that you'll come across on Twitter as well. You know, these are the people that get these perches because it's they're they're considered to have some kind of voice from the center or, or from the right when they're just doing the bidding of leftists. They are doing the bidding of leftists. You know, Nicole Wallace is up there like a dancing bear doing what Democrats want her to do. And it's just pathetic and shameful I, I know what this is like i was at cnn and they wanted me to dance a certain way and i wouldn't do it and i left and thank god i was willing by the way i didn't have i had no money in the bank at the time i had uh i i didn't have any tv prospects right away to go to um you know i was still at the blaze but you know i i, I left cnn because it was a dumpster fire I said, no, thank you. I don't want your money. I don't want to be on your air anymore. That's the truth. They didn't cut me. I cut them. So I know what it's like to be in this position. And, you know, Nicole Wallace, I guess that paycheck is just too sweet. So she'll abandon everything that she supposedly used to stand for as an adult in public life. Michael Steele, same thing. Everything that he used to stand for in public life. He will work for the other team now. And this is what really gets to the the core of the. And this is these these idiots at the bulwark too, you know these these slime balls, Charlie Sykes and all the rest of them over there, you know they've they've now said openly their mission is to try to trash the the pro Trump conservatives that they think need to be brought down a few levels. Uh, they think that that's their mission. That's really going to serve their purposes. You know we are seeing a fight now between capitalism and socialism between the Constitution and statism, between life and infanticide. I mean, these are, these are the breakdowns on political issues happening day in and day out in this country. They're gonna culminate in a huge election in 2020. And you have so-called Republicans who, they think that their role is to fight for the other side now? I'm supposed to take those people seriously or, or, or believe in their good faith, think that they are wise? Think that they have something to add to this conversation? I'm sorry, it is just unacceptable. What Michael Steele said was uh, grotesque, and he should be ashamed. And what you see is the egos of many of these Never Trump people. They thought that they were going to make some huge bet. On Trump flaming out and that they would keep their privileged positions within the GOP hierarchy on TV, at conferences, at think tanks, you know, all the rest of it. And they went all in against Trump. And since then, it has just been about their own personal vendetta against the Trump movement because they're bitter. This never Trump movement has turned bitter because they're not relevant, because they aren't powerful anymore because they aren't as rich as they used to be and or or as well off, you know, depending on who we're talking about. And most of all, they've been willing now to become traitors to what they claim they stood for, for in some cases, decades, all out of spite against Trump. These people are shameful and I'm here to call them out. But we haven't seen the actual connection We haven't seen an actual proof of cooperation and collusion. So what am I missing here? The Russians offered
1: help. The campaign accepted help. The Russians gave help and the president made full use of that help. And that is pretty damning uh, whether it is proof beyond a reasonable doubt of conspiracy or not.
3: Can you agree that there has been no evidence of collusion coordination or conspiracy that has been presented thus far between the Trump campaign and Russia?
1: Uh, No, I don't agree with that at all. I think there's plenty of evidence of collusion or conspiracy in plain sight.
2: Last March, you said you had more than circumstantial evidence of treasonous collusion with Russia. What specifically were you referring to? And please be specific, because if it's true, I do believe Americans have the right to know a year later what that is. Uh,
1: If you look at the the facts that are already in the public domain, they're pretty damning, uh, starting with what we know about George Papadopoulos.
0: All you have right now is a circumstantial case.
1: Uh, actually, no, Chuck. Uh, I, I can tell you that the case is more than that, uh, and I can't go into the particulars, but there is more than circumstantial evidence now. So, um, again, I think so you have Clapper, seen direct evidence of collusion. Uh, I don't want to go into specifics, but I will say that there is evidence that is not circumstantial uh, and uh, and is very
0: much worthy of investigation. Adam Schiff is a slime ball. If you didn't already know that, that montage we just played for you, I think, makes quite clear what his game is. He's the Democrat who's made a name for, among others, made a name for himself by trying to invert reality on its head. What does he do? He goes around saying that there is collusion. It has there is there's proof of collusion. I just can't tell you what it is. Well, now we're ending Soon, we hope, the Mueller probe, we are seeing the end of the Mueller probe, and people are asking some questions like, hold on a second, Schiff. You're a member of Congress. You're on the Intelligence, Intelligence Committee. You've been saying that there's all this all this evidence of collusion that's out there. It's already been, you know, it, or rather, it, it's, it is something that people are going to find more about. Where is it? What is it? What, what can you tell us? What's there? And then Schiff just runs into the same dishonest, you know, uh, talking points that are meant to evade the core point, which is that there is no collusion. They, it did not exist. It did not happen. They cannot prove it. So now, now that he can't get away with the old game, which is, oh, can't tell you about that. You know, you're, you're not, you know, the public can't know about the collusion that I know about because I am a member of Congress and I have so much information. Now that that's, he's running out of room on that one, he is saying, oh, we already proved collusion. We already proved it. It's already out there in the public, and you, I'm sure, because this audience is is brilliant, insightful, uh, honest, and kind. It, you are sitting there probably at home thinking, "What is that moron thinking? What is he talking about?" Of course, when when uh, you know when Adam Schiff says there's collusion and it's already out there and proven, so why do we need the Mueller Mueller probe? Oh, it's not proven. There's just evidence of it. There's lots of evidence of it. That's what he says, but because we can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And notice how he keeps moving the goalposts. No, no, no. There is actually not. The reasonable doubt standard would be in a prosecution. Could it be proven beyond a reasonable doubt? That's a question for a jury. When the prosecutor is making a decision to uh, to press charges or not, you know, that's up to their discretion. You know, can can any aspect of this be proven beyond a reasonable doubt? The pro the prosecutor gets to make that call, um, and the prosecutor can provide evidence beforehand to try and pressure the person into taking a deal, even if they think they think that they can't prove it. But what is the evidence? What is the evidence? Where is it? What is it? They keep saying, "Oh, there's so much and Russia and Russian help," and they're just they are. Like that guy from A Beautiful Mind writing in in gibberish on the walls of his of his garage or whatever. I mean, they're just it's just nonsense now. But what they're going to do, as I have been telling you, is they're going to create this smokescreen of incoherence, and then they're going to sort of you know whip it all up and uh, change it around and and whoo look at this now we're looking at the Southern District of New York. All of a sudden, we're going to move right past the two years of, oh, there's going to be Russian collusion. Oh, we're going to figure all this stuff out. Just wait. We're going to have it for you. We're going to blow right past that and get into, oh, okay, Uh, the Southern District of New York is going to investigate Trump's finances now. That's right. That's the plan. They're going to investigate Trump's finances. They're going to look for some deal and there'll be leaks to different newspapers about how he you know this vendor says that he got ripped off from a trump deal from 1987 and there's going to be all this stuff this is because they they can't actually win a public policy debate against this president they're worried their candidates are are jokers i mean the democrats that they're putting forward these aren't serious people they're a serious threat to the country because of their stupidity but they're not they're not people that are well versed in the in the issues and also have good good ideas and good judgment you know, they Some of them present well, and some of them seem earnest in their advocacy for socialism, but they're not seriously going to be able to beat this president as is. That's why they need this other component. They need to bring charges of some kind against the president, or at least the appearance of willingness to bring charges via all these investigations that they're going to continue going with. Meanwhile, on the other side of the coin, I want accountability for the deep state rat's nest at DOJ and FBI that has been unearthed here that we have seen stretching back for many months and that the more we learn about, the more obvious it is that they exceeded their, uh, they, they exceeded their authority, they abused their power, they were partisan actors, they were on a mission to get Trump at all costs. You know, I, I wanna know when we get to find out about whether they're held accountable um, and, you know, Trey Gowdy, who's out there now, Mr. Speaker, he's on Fox News now. Trey Gowdy's out there. He's talking about things here and there. I think my Trey Gowdy, People don't... I think my Trey Gowdy sounds like Trey Gowdy, and people just don't... You know, they, they don't... I don't know. You guys let me know. I mean, the Beto is obviously great, and the Bernie is great. I think my Trey Gowdy doesn't get enough love. You know, Andy McCabe's doing this and doing that, and he's here and there and everywhere... And here's what he said about the investigations. Play 16.
1: And the reason I say three investigations, you had the July 2016 investigation that was initiated and signed off on by Peter Strzok. That was into the Trump campaign. And then when Comey is fired, Andy McCabe... Proudly told CBS that he launched his own counterintelligence investigation into whether or not Donald Trump was a was an agent of Russia. And then for good measure, he launched a criminal investigation into obstruction of justice. So I'm not great with math, but that's three separate investigations into a duly elected president near, as I can tell,
0: simply because he fired Jim Comey. That does seem like a lot of legal jeopardy with the firing of Jim Comey at the center of it, right? That that does seem to me to be perhaps a bit a bit excessive, especially given that you are dealing with a, a president of the United States. You know, the, the bar for investigating the president for, uh, for the FBI and the Department of Justice, who are inferior employees of the president, they work for the president, for the executive branch. You would like to think that that bar is pretty high. What we saw, though, is if you were a Hillary partisan, if you are a statist working in the upper reaches of the federal bureaucracy, then you were uh, willing to bend the rules to go after Trump however you could. Then all of a sudden the the barriers to investigation came down and it was justify this however you can, wherever you can. And I, I really do think that there needs to be a much more uh, serious accounting for what happened FBI and DOJ than what we've seen. I mean, I think we should have I think we should appoint a special counsel to look into the special counsel. How about that one? How about them apples? This is an America where hate groups, hate crimes are on the rise. The reality is there has been a rise in hate crimes. There has been a rise of of intolerance. We know that hate crimes are on the rise. A lot of people don't want to accept that. They want this to be trumped up. They keep saying this, they keep saying this, but it's not true. They keep telling us that hate crimes are on the rise and that if we don't do something drastic, we're going to be overcome by hate crimes. Um, it, it's, it's one of the most repeated lies you'll hear in the media right now, especially now that the Jussie Smollett situation has uh, just completely imploded, right? I mean, that guy's facing charges and everything else. Um, Here's a piece from Elizabeth Nolan Brown that uh, on Reason, you know, Reason, they're they're libertarians. Libertarians are smart. Sometimes they can be a little annoying with their whole, like, you know, legalized marijuana and who's going to pay for the roads and all that stuff. But, you know, I like libertarians in general, and the libertarians at Reason do a good job. They're smart folks. And uh, Elizabeth Nolan Brown writes the following, presidential candidates, TV pundits and others keep trying to contextualize actor Jussie Smollett's false report by saying that even if this one wasn't true, hate crimes are on the rise in America. Just look at the most recent FBI statistics, they say. Similarly, human trafficking tall tales like this week's uber sex trafficker that wasn't tend to provoke comments about how this case, even if it wasn't true in particular, such crimes are a growing problem. Why? Just look at the data. The problem, Elizabeth writes, with both of these claims is simple. Our data sets keep expanding. We have higher numbers of incidents, but we also have more and more police agencies participating in the voluntary reporting system. In 2017, there were about 1,050 more bias-based incident reports than the previous year, a 17% rise. There were also around 7, or sorry, around 1,000 additional agencies reporting this means it's not obviously the case that hate crimes are more prevalent in 2017 the government just probably did a better job of counting them in 2016 there were 271 more incidents deemed hate crimes than in 2015 with 257 more law enforcement agencies reporting as pointed out when the data came out the number of hate uh, crime classifications was higher in 2016 than any of the four preceding years but lower than in 2011 and down significantly from 2006 to 2008. There were also fewer victims in 2016, 7,615 down 9,652. We saw no significant rise in hate crimes from uh, 2004 and 2015 either. A Bureau of Justice uh, statistics study found that the rate of violent hate crimes in 2015 was not significantly different from the rate in 2004 And this held true for violent hate crimes, both reported and unreported to police. So, look, it's just it's just not the case that there's some huge spike in hate crimes. It's just not the numbers don't support it. I mean, when you're talking about a 17 percent rise in overall incidents in one year, but a thousand additional agencies reporting on them, the likelihood is that you're just getting higher incidences of reporting. And you're also expanding the categories of what is considered a hate crime. As I told you, based on the FBI statistics, a lot of what are so-called hate crimes are just comments. Someone reports that someone said something racist or anti-Muslim or whatever. I'm not even sure that you could really call that a crime, folks. I hate to be the one to break it to all the libs out there. Mean? Disgraceful? Yes. Hate crime? Not sure it's a crime. First Amendment allows you to be a racist jerk, unfortunately, but it does. Well, it's actually the reason that the First Amendment does that is very important to our society, even though people that choose to use the First Amendment that way are gross. But it does. The First Amendment protects people from saying things that are hurtful and racist. This is this is the way the First Amendment is set up. Libs kind of play games with this though and say, well, no, it's a hate crime is tantamount to violence when speech is used to dehumanize someone. They have all this Rhetoric that they use that's essentially just a way of trying to say that they can criminalize speech that they don't like. But it's just not the case that hate crimes are out of control and all this stuff. Um, Let's get to uh, the next one here, which is when they're talking about the real problem is the Chicago police department. This is a this stuff is a disgrace from the media trying to run cover for Smollett. Here's what they'll do. Play clip five.
3: I think we need
2: to see some of the evidence. I think it's very concerning that all of these leaks came from the Chicago Police Department. So frankly, all we have is leaks from the Chicago Police Department. Now what they said in this press conference and what Jesse Smollett and his team have said.
3: This police department did in 2016 openly through their union support Donald Trump. So to have a police department that hasn't been as cooperative as they have been this round, do not openly give information, do openly lie and mishold uh, information in cases, and then to know that they are openly have openly supported Donald Trump in the 2016 election, a lot of activists on the ground are saying, wait, what's going on here? Who do we believe out of these two suspect uh, people?
0: Can I just, just, just to clarify here, everybody, you have pundits going on TV now after the Smollett ridiculousness. I mean, the guy is a joker, a total, a total doofus, a liar, did something really disgraceful, really dishonorable, that actually really affected police resources and and defamed a whole group of voters in this country. It's half the country, basically. And MSNBC and CNN are putting people on TV to say, well, the Chicago Police Department, maybe the Chicago Police Department's lying. I wonder if these same idiots would say that about the arrest of R. Kelly, who is once again facing charges for underage sexual activity. I've read that there's a there's even a video that's supposed to be presented as part of the charges showing him having sex with an underage girl. I mean, R. Kelly is is a, a true predator, and I, I'm guessing that they don't think the Chicago PD is. I'm hoping they don't think Chicago PD is lying about that, but they'll they'll insinuate that Chicago Police Department is lying about Smollett. Any anything to try to protect little stupid Jussie, who's by the way obviously very dumb. Uh, but then they also take one more shot here because yeah, maybe this wasn't true that Trump supporters attacked Jussie Smollett, but it's still true in principle. It's just not true in the facts. Trump supporters are still awful, the left says. Play six.
3: If it is true didn't he in fact attempt to paint the maga supporters as these racist and homophobic people I think I, I, that, I have to disagree with that If the story's true that yeah. I, well but Michelle I, I have to respectfully disagree I think maga supporters have painted themselves as that I mean when you look at look. footage when you hear things they say these are this is the honest goodness truth and we have to be bold enough to call but that Ah
0: uh, yes that very very dumb person I don't even know who it is but that dumb person on on CNN wants you to know that what we really should take from the Smollett hoax is that even though it's a hoax, it's true in principle because, yes, they have to fabricate MAGA supporters acting this way, but that's because the left believes that's who MAGA supporters really are. That's what Republicans and conservatives really are, the left thinks. This is not a fringe belief on the left, by the way. They really think this about you and me. Be sure to remember that going forward.
1: Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Clear.
0: Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief.
1: I don't believe we're
3: going to get what we've wanted from the first summit on, which is a inventory of their weapons, a timetable to support denuclearization, and a commitment for independent observers. I believe the administration has pulled back from that. I suspect what we may get is a commitment to end the the war, the armistice, etc. All the countries become signatories to that. And that would be progress going forward. What Kim Jong-un is seeking, two things, Mm. economic prosperity and security. And what we're seeking, one thing, disarm nuclear weapons, disarm ballistic missiles. Test, pray and cower has been upended by
0: President Trump. We've put real economic pressure on the North Koreans. We've built out a global coalition. One of the critiques is that we go it alone. We've built out the world's coalition to communicate to Chairman Kim that now is the time, now is the moment. And I hope we'll make real progress on that this week. Quite a summit this week expected in Vietnam between President Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Kim is taking an armored train, maybe borrowing from the uh, California bullet train funds who knows the bullet train that will never be but they want to keep their 3 billion dollars in California anyway kim is on his way to uh, to vietnam via train from north korea Two thousand two thousand 2000 mile journey uh, i'm sure that there's lots of lovely scenery along the way uh but he's going to arrive there and they're going to try and hash out the next steps for a nuclear agreement uh, i i I will tell you that I think that Trump is right, but I don't think he's going to. I don't think he's going to get what he wants. Let me explain a little bit. I think that President Trump knows that the alternative to some kind of uh, diplomatic effort is eventually going to be military strikes against North Korea. I just think that that's that's where we're heading, and that's something that we want to avoid. That's something that would be uh, catastrophic for the North Korean state for sure, and for South Korea, I think it could be very very. Uh, damaging and deadly as well. And so Trump is doing what he can. He's essentially adhering to the principle that war should be an absolute last resort. Um, that is always the right thing in my mind. I mean, when, when you, it, that doesn't mean it's not a resort. It just means it's the last resort. So he's going through all the motions here and doing everything that he can. And I think that he believes because he is, well, because he's Donald Trump and he certainly does not lack for confidence that he'll be able to get some kind of a deal here. I think the fact is that there is not going to be a deal with North Korea that truly denuclearizes the peninsula. Now, I hope I am wrong, and I could very well be wrong, uh, but that would be a—this is a Hail Mary pass. We, we should understand it as such. There's no, there, The downsides of this have been greatly exaggerated by Trump critics. So those who say that Trump has caved to dictators or he's coddling dictators, they don't know what the heck they're talking about. The sanctions against North Korea are as strong as they have ever been. In fact, you could argue they are more targeted and therefore they are even stronger than what they have been in the past. Uh, But he's trying here. He's trying to give North Korea an opening. And you can tell he also is trying to sell the North Korean leadership on the benefits of some kind of a softening. I mean, you see the economic miracle that South Korea has been and What is possible for North Korea, even if it adopted, let's be honest, it's not going to go with a South Korea like model. If it adopted something that's closer to what China has, an authoritarian capitalist economy or or moved in that direction, it would be so much more uh, prosperous. It would be so on such a stronger footing uh, you know it would if it was able to open its markets for raw materials to the rest of the world and get raw materials I mean the the economic openings for North Korea if it just stopped being this uh this nuclear blight on the international community and this this threat to its neighbors particularly to South Korea and to Japan uh, the, the the economic Trump's right I mean they could be a, a miracle and that's why I think Trump's Uh, sense that he needs to focus on something of the positive here. I I understand where he's coming from. Playcliffe 29. We talk about something that, frankly, uh, he never spoke to anybody about, but we're speaking and we're speaking aloud. And I think we can have a very good, a very good summit. I think we'll have a very tremendous summit. We want denuclearization. And I think he'll have a country that will set a lot of records for speed in terms of an economy. If if he got denuclearization, North Korea would would turn into, I think, assuming that they then look, they're not going to turn into a Jeffersonian democracy or anything. We all know that. Right. But even if they if they just move toward a Chinese model with an authoritarian regime, you know, with with, with a strong man at the top, but was was not engaged in all this, we're going to. Kill all of our enemies in a fiery sea of, of nuclear waste and all this. You know, if they just did that, it would be an incredible, uh, an incredible success story economically, I think, in, in a short, a very short period of time, you know, five or 10 years. But I don't know if we'll get there. I would note also, you know, Iraq, in terms of the, the I know I'm jumping around here, but Iraq's GDP now compared to what it was, I mean, Iraq is still a, a security problem and it's now in a, largely an Iranian client state. But the Iraqi GDP is up tremendously. It's up a thousand percent since before the invasion. So the economic output of the Iraqis is way better than now than it was before. Uh, so just to give you, and that was after fighting a major war. So you can imagine if we can avoid the war with North Korea, and just think of all the, all of the uh, improvements in day to day life. It would not be true freedom. It would not be a regime that fully respects human rights. But you know we got to work with we got to work with the reality we're in now. And I think Trump's trying to do that and just stop being this psychotic hermit kingdom of, uh, of of the most bellicose warlike rhetoric and, and posture all the time. I don't think it's going to work though. I I wish I could tell you otherwise. I think the North Koreans are just going to cling to their nukes and try to ride this whole thing out. And uh, the, they're going to hope that they get a Sanders administration or a, a Warren administration or some left-wing loon uh, who's running things, who is going to be completely able to be hoodwinked by whatever they've got planned, um, you know, whatever the North Koreans are going to do. I mean, the North Koreans have certainly lied to us plenty of times in the past. In fact, that's one of the big problems we have going forward with them. Ari Fleischer, who I've got to say has become... Uh, A commentator lately that I I appreciate his insights. I think he does a a good job on a lot of subjects. Um, But Ari Fleischer spoke about this because he had some experience with seeing an administration getting bamboozled. Here's what he said, 19.
1: And the North Koreans lie. They've lied to three administrations in a row. The question is, will they make it four? So I praise President Trump. I think the president is pushing and getting them actually to move in a good direction. The lack of tests, the president points out is a productive development around the world, but will they denuclearize or will they lie? North Korea does have nuclear bombs, but they can't deliver them. That's the issue. They can't deliver them far. They can't deliver them to the United States on intercontinental ballistic missiles yet. They don't have the technology, they don't have the abilities, and if they don't test, they'll never get it. Will they go beyond that and denuclearize,
0: get rid of all their nukes? You know, That's a goal that we've always talked about. I just don't believe it will ever happen. I think North Korea will always hold on to them. You know, I hadn't actually heard the end of that clip from Fleischer until we just played it on air. Now, obviously, I agree with him. I just don't think the North Koreans are going to do it. That doesn't mean Trump shouldn't try. That's just that's just my opinion, and that's just Ari Fleischer's opinion. Doesn't mean Trump shouldn't try. Uh, there, there's always that. There's always that chance for something of a diplomatic miracle. But understand this: if Trump achieves true denuclearization of North Korea not at this summit, but if it starts at the summit and then going forward, if he does that within the next six years, that's right, baby, six, of his presidency, it will be the most incredible diplomatic achievement, I think, since the, since the well, it'll be the most incredible geopolitical moment since the fall of the Berlin Wall. And it will be the biggest achievement, I think, in many ways since the uh, World War II, since uh, the World War II era, post-World War II era, rather. Um, so we'll see, uh, as to China, by the way, I'm hoping here's a little preview of things to come. I'm hoping to get to China myself in buck goes to China, like Nixon goes to China in May. So we'll see if that happens. I don't know how I'll be able to do the show from over there. There's a part of me that would worry that if I tried to do the Buck Sexton show from China, I, I would end up in like a cell somewhere. So I might have to take a couple of days off guys, but it's not for a few months. Um, But I'm hoping to get to China myself and and to meet with business and policy leaders there and and hear about what's really going on. Because Trump is engaged in the pivot to Asia that the Obama administration and and that the left for eight years under Obama was always talking about, but never really did. They didn't do anything vis-a-vis Asia. They didn't accomplish anything. They had such a focus on appeasing Iran that they never really made headway. On, on Asia, um, and I think that they just were talking about Asia because they knew that that's where a lot of the geopolitical challenges of the future lie, but they didn't have any expectation that they'd be able to do anything. Which brings me to just real quick here, Trump is uh, extending, the, uh, extending the trade deal negotiations with China. President Xi Jinping uh, and Trump are going to be talking about this in uh, Mar-a-Lago I think coming up. Uh, there was supposed to be a 90-day deadline of March 1st, and on that deadline, there were going to be new tariffs uh, ranging on $200 billion of Chinese goods from 10% to 25%, uh, but uh, they're, they're not going to do the new round of tariffs. They're going to wait because Trump thinks they're making some progress. I am, you know, whereas I'm not particularly hopeful for full denuclearization with North Korea, although there might be a ratcheting down of, there already has been a ratcheting down of tensions because of the lack of missile tests, I'm really holding out hope for Trump on China. In fact, I'll just tell you this. I, I'm i somebody who owns some Chinese stocks that have just gotten crushed. And I'm, I do not, nor, I cannot, nor would I ever give anybody uh, stock advice here on the show. I'm just saying, though, I'm somebody that's a believer in, in Trump's ability to get an agreement with China that if it is instituted will actually be good for the Chinese and American economy. Uh, so, I mean, I I put my money where my mouth is on this. I'm an investor in Trump's ability to get China to the deal table and to get something done. So I, I'm holding out hope. Would I tell you to put your money? No, I would not. Uh, the, you know, the, the odds are probably against this, really, if you're looking at it. And and I think that there's a very good chance that it'll just turn into more delay, especially going into Trump's reelection year. Remember, everything that he's trying to accomplish right now also has to go through the lens of how does this affect 2020 and what will that mean? And, you know, all of that. Right. So the and, and foreign governments know this, too. They know that if they can stall until 2020, then it gets completely lost in the reelection uh, mess. And, you know, the the president would love to get a deal done then, but he's going to be very distracted by other things, understandably so. Uh, So I just I I would remember that as we go forward here. So big summit in Vietnam this week. We'll have, obviously, analysis for you from that as it happens the next few days. Uh, And also this China deadline's been put off. I am I am uh, hopeful, but. Not expecting a lot out of the North Korea talks. I am cautiously optimistic about real progress on the China talks. But this is Trump's pivot to Asia, and it is it is bold. You can say that much about it. Let's see what kind of dealmaker he really is. Morning coffee is an institution. That's why when it comes to starting my day, I reach for the most American coffee on the market, Black Rifle Coffee. It is my coffee. Every single morning gets my day kicking, gets it going the right way. Uh, One, it's absolutely delicious, okay? So that's super important with your coffee. Also, if you're like me and you like a bit of a kick from that caffeine, Black Rifle gets it going for you. And also it's a company that is owned and operated by veterans that does a lot of give back to the veteran community and first responders. These are great guys. They're former spec ops vets that started this thing. I subscribe to Black Rifle Coffee and I get coffee from them every month sent to... My door, and while the liberals threaten to further tax your hard-earned money with their socialist agenda, Black Rifle Coffee is fueling the fight for freedom by upping their offer to twenty percent off. Take advantage right now. Go to blackriflecoffee.com/slash-buck. You'll get twenty percent off your order. That's blackriflecoffee.com/slash-buck for twenty percent off.
2: So we've been trying to say from the time you're born, you know, you're wrapped in a pink blanket or you're wrapped in a blue blanket. And from there, a whole set of expectations and aesthetics and opportunities are put on you. And that can be really limiting. It doesn't let individuals sort of be whoever they actually are. It puts us in these very distinct, very arbitrary categories. And the gender reveal party moves that even more forward. So you don't even have to be born to be wrapped in the pink or the blue blanket. You're still a fetus. Um, and your parents are announcing to the world, you know, that you're going to be either guns or glitter. You're going to be yeah you know, uh, tractors or tiaras.
0: That's uh, one of these feminists who's actually a pretty well-known leftist feminist <laughs> railing against gender reveal parties, not because they are lame, which... Some of you could make that argument. I'm not going to make that argument right now because I've never had a baby. Some of you who have had babies, you you get to weigh in on this. You you have an experiential component to this that I do not. Our gender reveal parties kind of lame. I don't. It's a new thing that I hadn't even heard of until six months ago or so. Uh, but she doesn't have a problem with it because it's just we now have all these excuses for adults to have parties at all these different phases in their life for no apparent reason. I mean, I went to a baby shower with Miss Molly that. Uh, where the dachshund tried to rip my face off the carpet shark remember that story that baby shower lasted like five hours it was the longest party and it's just watching an adult open presents for babies no no this is not something you should make your adult human friends do this is not normal this is not cool Uh, and nor should you allow your face to get ripped off by a carpet shark but the the problem that this feminist has with it because feminists as we know have they have no sense of humor Um, you know what's what, what's the joke about the feminist who walks into a bar? Why are you so sexist? You know, it's like, oh, whoa, <laughs> I guess it's not a joke. Uh, I guess there is no joke. So, you know, feminists are, are, not a, are not an amusing bunch at all. They find no humor in anything. And they're, they're fighting against uh, not just millennia, but really the, the dawn of, of humans as a species up until now where there is a difference in the way that people approach and think and deal with life based on their biology and their gender and they can keep pretending that this is not the case but you know boys and girls when left to their own devices boys do play with certain things girls do play with certain with other things right boys do tend toward certain uh you know physical and spatial activities girls are into more visual and creative and you know, this is this is the science supports this. It could not be any more clear. And, you know, men and women are very different in, in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, all you have to do is spend some time around some, you know, some teenage boys or some, and some teenage girls. I, I spent the weekend at a house where there were, I think, six or seven young kids running around. And the boys and the girls are all very different. And they're not different because of just societal norms or whatever. They're different because they're different. I wish the libs would would stop with this nonsense, but they really do view gender as yet another thing to destroy in their Marxist quest to uh, in their, in their cultural Marxist quest to create this radical equality of all peoples, that we are all these cogs in this br- bigger machine that they are building. And remember the ultimate, the really the, the, uh, the, the, foundational relationships in society are among parents and children and among spouses. And, you know, the, the male-female dynamic in particular is one that the left really seeks to uh, not just to, to downplay, but increasingly, I think, to subvert and, and to destroy and act like there is no, there is nothing about gender that is meaningful. And that's just crazy. The science does not support it. Society, history, uh, it, it, this is a, a bizarre concept they've latched onto. But it's the same reason why now, you know, women will openly— Feminists, I should say, not women. Feminists will, well, not that feminists aren't women. You know what I mean. The subset of women known as feminists will openly advocate for uh, transgender uh, women to be able to fight in MMA tournaments when this is just crazy. I mean, this is a man fighting a woman. I mean, the physical differences between men and women are very, very real. And the amount of testosterone in your body can change, but still the physical structure of people that are XX versus XY, the bone density, the bone structure is different And, you know, taking some pills doesn't change that. So liberals on this are not just nasty and undermining, but when it comes to the eradication of gender, they're rabidly anti-science. I did not watch a single minute of the uh, Oscars on Sunday night Not, not a minute. I didn't feel the need to tune in just to sort of take a peek and like, oh, what are you wearing? Like, let's talk about the red carpet. Um, I, I didn't feel the need to do it at all. I know a lot of you are like, yeah, Buck, wel- welcome to the party, pal. Uh, but th- there was just no, there was even no curiosity, right? I'm not even somebody who would have said I would watch the Oscars in previous years. But I might tune in for a second and see if some celebutant was going to make a fool of himself or herself. And, and it just was so clear to me that based on the movies, uh, there was no need for me to watch any of this. I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody t- got four awards, right? I heard Bohemian Rhapsody is actually a fun movie and it's, and it's a good watch. So I, I might watch that at home at some point. But Roma, Black Panther and Green Book won three Oscars each. And, and I sit here and, I, and I, I don't care about who wins this as in, oh, like I'm so disappointed. Because as I've told you before... The Shape of Water won a year ago for Best Picture, and it's a movie about a woman who has sex with an aquarium pet that can't speak or communicate with human beings. That's really, really weird. You can you can call me old-fashioned, but I think that human beings should only have sexual relationships with human beings, and I don't think that movies should celebrate sex with non-human beings. So, there's that. But... I look at this more as just the cultural indications of it all, right? I mean, the fact, first of all, I'm sorry, Black Panther's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. People I know are supposed to say it's a good movie. I know that that there's a lot of cultural pressure to say Black Panther's a good movie. It's not. It has crappy screenplay, crappy dialogue, bad storyline, cheesy-looking action sequences, not all of them, but a lot of them. It's just not a very good movie. And, and I wish we didn't have to pretend, but I didn't see Green Book. People told me it was okay. I don't think anybody saw Roma, but that apparently did well. Here's why I'm bringing this up. Hollywood really is losing its power. And that's not something that we as conservatives should celebrate because the power is just going elsewhere. And it is not going into a more uh, bipartisan ecosystem. It's actually shifting to Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Uh, YouTube, which is owned by Google. You know, you you look at all of this and you look at the trends of trajectory here and the digital superpowers, so to speak, are now in place of what the old Hollywood studios were. It used to be that the Hollywood studios would buy up cable channels and buy up these other content distribution mechanisms because they were so big, because they had these movies that had, you know, a hundred million dollar budget and make a billion dollars and And movie studios are losing their grip, and they're also losing their cultural influence. But that influence is being replaced by Netflix, by Hulu. I just got a buddy of mine to watch The Last Kingdom over the weekend. I'm Uhtred, son of Uhtred. And now he's hooked. He's like, my wife hasn't seen me in days. All I do is watch The Last Kingdom. I'm like, I told you, dude. I told you it's a great show. And that's a show that I learned about from a member of the team, I would know. One of you told me. About the Last Kingdom via Facebook, and uh, and I went and I've watched now three seasons of it, but that's where the culture is going. I mean, the stories you have to remember that the stuff that we see on TV and movies and and just just video content in general, those are the stories that we are seeing and that are points of commonality between all of us, right? I mean, I, I can sit down and talk to any any. By the way, I actually have gray in my beard now, so I I truly am a graybeard millennial uh, but I can talk to any of my fellow graybeards and and discuss movies from the late 90s early 2000s and we all had kind of profound memories of where we saw them and you know every guy I know who saw Braveheart in the theater remembers thinking that it was an incredible movie you know, for example um, but these are commonalities that have a real influence on our thinking and on and yes on our politics Breitbart very Uh, very correctly said that politics is downstream from culture. So Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, why do I care about this? These are all liberal enclaves. So pay attention to this. The Oscars shows us the Oscars is dying. Hollywood studios are dying, or they're at least going to be a a shadow of what they once were. They're all going to get bought up by Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, Google. That's or Hulu is I know owned by another one, but they're going to get bought up by the digital super companies, and those super companies are lib institutions. We need to do something about that.
1: Hey, Team Buck, it's time
0: for roll call. Just a little plug here. Uh, I will be having a conversation with uh, Mark Teeson of the Washington Post. Uh, a, a debate, actually. If we're going to be, we're going to be frank about it. We're going to have a little debate on the uh, situation in Syria and U.S. troops, whether they should be pulled out of Syria. So that is uh, that is this Friday at CPAC, which is at the Uh, Gaylord International Convention Center, I think it's called. So if you feel up to it, if you want to come by CPAC uh, this Friday, if you're going to be at CPAC this Friday at about 8.30 a.m., I'll be up on the main stage having a debate about Syria. Good times for sure. And let's get to the uh, so please do show up team if you happen to be there team buck campus represent in previous years i've had colleagues in the media who told me that that people went up to them and said well in one case are you buck sexton which was the guy i don't think looked very much like me but nonetheless it was nice that somebody was thinking of me and then in, in other years people have said well where is buck this is my first time at cpac actually my first year going to be at cpac so if you get a chance do Do come by and uh, say hi, and we'll, you know, chat about Syria or whatever else you got in mind. All right, facebook.com slash Buck Saxton if you want to get in on some of the roll call action. Alice, first up. Hey, Buck, funny story. My husband, Dan, just flew to Washington today for a meeting, and on the plane were our entire Vermont congressional delegation, Pat Leahy. Who's charming fellow passengers, Peter Welch, who was working the room, and old Bernie, Bernie Sanders, who stuck his nose in his iPad and barreled into Dan in the restroom without an apology. But here's the good part. Leahy and Welch flew coach, Bernie, the stinky socialist, flew first class. But you know the seats have gotta be bigger because his brain is bigger, his mind and heart are bigger for making the socialism work, you know? If you're going to give free stuff to everybody, you got to give a little more free stuff to yourself. First class, three houses. You understand that doesn't surprise me. I think it's so interesting that there are people who were part of the Hillary Clinton campaign who have leaked information about Bernie Sanders, private jet travel to the press, just out of spite, just, just to kind of mess up the burns day a little bit. They have leaked this information about Bernie Sanders traveling on private jets. Uh and yes, it is, in fact, it is, in fact, the case that the burn does like his private jet travel. But it was for Hillary Clinton that he was doing that. He was traveling around trying to help her out, which was obviously a thankless job. Matthew writes, Buck, I can't wait to listen to your show every day. You are the new Rush, hands down the best commentator on the radio today. I mean that. Well, Matthew, you are very kind. I appreciate that. May I give you an action movie quote? Yes, you may, Matthew. Let's let's do it. Now you know what I do for a living. I'm not perfect, but you should have waited for me. I was worth it. Man, Matthew, I got no idea. My action movie skills have probably faded because we haven't done it on the show in a while. I bet there are a lot of people that listen to the show now who don't even know about Action Movie Quote Friday. I should we bring it back? Let me know if you think we should bring it back in Facebook, uh, in, in the Facebook comments. Andres writes, whoop. Howdy, Buck and team. After my workout this morning, I thought to check the news on my local AM conservative radio channel. Oddly, there was chatter about Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. What the H-E double hockey sticks? Why am I telling you this, Buck? Well, Buck, you and your team put together a thoughtful mix of news analysis, or rather put together a thoughtful mix of news analysis that matters to us. It is because of this assembly of talent and information that we all tune in to support you and the associated sponsors. You and your team definitely set the bar higher than most. So when I hear chatter about the latest entertainment romance on my conservative AM channel, I long for the cerebral pleasures of the Freedom Hut. Your humor, inside impressions, and analogies, dear listener from the other day, keep and grow your audience. Stay the course, Andres. Well, Andres, man, you're very nice. I'm getting some really, really kind stuff from the team today, and I, and I do appreciate it. Um, it. It means a lot. So especially as, uh, let's just say, uh, I have... Not not radio related, but there's some other professional, not personal. Don't start don't start making guesses about uh, any kind of personal life changes. Not yet, not yet. Um, but I have some announcements coming up about some professional projects and things. Um, so your support, as always, team, helps push through the transitions and changes. Uh, radio is of course just great and growing. It's not radio related, but there's some other things. There might be some shifting going on uh, in the in the Bucks day to day schedule. I know, third person. I'm sorry. I should code red myself. Kristen, not to be confused with Kirsten. Can we just, guys, can we just all agree the name is Kristen? Can we stop with this Kirsten? Kirsten liked the Beto impression. Y'all, yeah, can we just like, please, like, can we just have it be Kirsten and not Kirsten? I, I just I just don't believe in walls, and I don't believe in, in Kirsten. It should be Kristen. I can't even <laughs> say them right back and forth. Beto can't say them right either. But Kristen writes, hey, Buck, I've been listening to your podcast for about three years, and you're the only person I have to hear when you post. I skipped the other podcast, but yours is a must listen. My birthday is today. That would be February 25th, and I hope you give me a shout-out. Thanks, bunches. Keep up the great work. Well, Kristen, happy birthday to you, and thank you so much for uh, listening to the show and being such a, a part of what we do here Thank you, thank you, thank you. Happy birthday. Hope it was a wonderful one. And please, please keep listening. James, we share first names. Buck, I've been trying to buy a Shields High T-shirt from your website for many months, but every time I check, there's only small, medium, and XXL. I need a plain, old, large. Will they ever be available? Love the show, James. James, uh, I got to check. Websites, we've been revamping, redoing. I got to get some stuff going for the website. Um, You know, let me see if let me see if I can make that happen. Uh, Yeah, I don't know what's going on with the T-shirts. I can't even ask. Producer Mike's not in charge of it, so I don't even know. Let me look into that, man. We got to we got to up our up our digital store game quite a bit going forward. That would be really, really helpful. Uh, Michael writes, Buck, did you hear what Bill Maher said? The right wants to be the left. Wow. Talk about a high-perched bubble. You say it all the time. The left does not understand the right. You're correct as usual, Buck. The left is out of touch. Shields high, my friend. Indeed, Uh, 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 Michael's referring to Bill Maher saying that liberal states have Chef Wolfgang Puck, red states have Chef Boyardee. Interestingly enough, Chef Boyer D was actually an entrepreneur who became a multi-multi-millionaire and came to America with nothing. He's an immigrant. So you'd think that maybe they'd be a little more excited about his story. Um, But also, if we're going to talk about cuisine and food and red states versus blue states, I think Texas, Louisiana, Tennessee, the Carolinas, you know, I I think there are some places that are going to want a word. And I'm not trying to leave you out, Indiana. I have been to some fantastic steakhouses in the wonderful state of Indiana. But if you're looking for even what would be considered innovative cuisine, there are some red states that are at the very top of the list. And uh, don't even get me started on barbecue because I know that there is not enough homage that I can pay to Southern and Texan barbecue. And the New York equivalent of it, Just it just doesn't. Doesn't get it done. It doesn't cut the mustard, as we would say in NYC. Seth writes, "Hey, I heard your response to my message on the podcast. I thought she was a show sponsor only because I listen on podcasts. So normally, I only hear what you guys put up and not any radio ads. Perhaps it's an ad inserted by a podcast app. Sorry. Yeah, Seth. If if we have apps running on the on the podcast, um, you know that's something that I would." Uh, I would know what the, or rather, ads running on the podcast. I don't know what those ads are. I mean, some of that is done via our ad sales, and that's kind of out of my hands. But obviously, the sponsors of the show that I do live reads for, I know those products very well. I use those products, and I'm very familiar with with what they're up to. So there is some difference in in how the selling works, and this is where I always tell you all, you know, when I ask you to check out Black Rifle or Amac or any of our wonderful sponsors Um, that is a way for you to get a great product and also to support this show it really matters every single purchase that you make using the urls that i say on this show every day is a vote to keep the show on air and to keep it growing uh, which we have been doing without fail now for the gosh this is the third this is the third year we've been on air in this time slot so every time you get a chance to check out one of those products uh, i really really do appreciate it and uh, so do the entrepreneurs and the uh, business owners that we work with. And remember, they're people who are willing to a lot of companies get all, oh, I don't want to go near conservative talk. You know, I, I don't believe in traditional America and, and being pro-life and you're good on this whole list. And and those companies don't want to advertise in, on conservative anything, conservative radio, conservative uh, TV. Uh, so it's it's in your hands. It's in your hands, whether our side of things, whether half the country gets a voice in media or not. And I, I really mean that. Um, Aaron writes, Buck, thanks for the segment on finding meaningful work. The disconnect between compensation and meaning really resonated with me. And it was inspiring to hear you talk about finding meaning in your career on an unrelated note. I love your impressions and would love to hear a segment with you, Ben Shapiro and Steven Crowder doing dueling impressions of the Democrats 2020 car, cl- uh, clown car of lunacy shields. high. Aaron, well, Aaron, thank you so much for the kind note and the, and the support for the show. And uh, yeah, I, I got a lot of feedback. I didn't really read much of it here um, on the show but today, but a lot of feedback about meaningful work. And I think in particular, being a janitor that helps heal people's brains, um, that's, that really struck a chord with people uh, because we all, we all have that ability. We all have that, that chance to make someone else's life every day a little bit better, A little bit easier, a little bit more fulfilling, maybe a little bit less lonely, a little bit less dark. Uh, So that really struck a chord with folks, and I appreciate, Aaron, that that it did with you as well. As for uh, Crowder and Ben, I mean, those guys are great, and uh, that's a a fantastic idea. I'd be happy to join them anytime to talk about whatever they want to talk about. Uh, So let's see if they'll do it. You know, reach out to them. I'll fly. Hey, I'll I'll take a trip out to L.A. on my own dime just to hang out on the uh, Daily Wire set and talk to those guys about whatever they want. That'll be it for today, team. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.